This is an exciting night tonight as we finish up the book of Ruth, chapter 4. Um, I think everybody has Bibles. If you need a Bible, they're over here in the corner. Kids, just get up and get it. <laughs> Rich has got one in his hand. <laughs> if you need a Bible, get one for yourself, okay? No. <laughs> no, no, no. What's that? That's right, exactly, exactly. Ruth chapter 4, let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for tonight and for uh, just a sweet time of worship that we can have, uh, uh, just a sweet time of gathering together as uh, your family, Lord, and knowing that you are here to teach us, instruct us, touch our hearts in, in ways that, um, that uh, just are special to us. And we thank you for that and for this story that we're going to conclude tonight and what an amazing story it is. And we just pray uh, your blessing upon our children downstairs, the youth as they're being taught as well, and, and just uh, your hand on them. Uh, Lord, bless our night tonight, we pray. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love watching movies with happy endings. If you know it's going to be a happy ending, I like watching that. You know, years ago, that movie came out, The Perfect Storm. And I found out ahead of time, everybody dies in the end. Why go watch it? You know, and I didn't. I've never seen that movie. And it comes on TV, I'm not going to watch it because they all die in the end. What's the point? But <laughs> that is not the case tonight. We have been watching this love story unfold. Tonight we come to the end and it's a happy ending. One in which the girl's crying because it's so romantic and so happy and the guys are pretending that they have no emotion at all. What's But inside they're crying too. That's just allergies. That's all that's going on here. We come to chapter 4, the conclusion. Now, as a way of overview, let's kind of go through all of it. We've seen chapter 1 begin with a series of tragedies. There's famine and a backslidden family and three funerals and fear and a Final goodbye. Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, and two sons moved to Moab because of the famine in Bethlehem, Judah. First mistake. They, they get there. Naomi's husband dies as well as her two sons. The sons, however, got married before they died and married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. And really, this first portion of Ruth is a sad situation, not only because of the death of Naomi's husband and two sons, but it also represents in graphic detail just what happens when you live outside of the will of God. You're not listening to God's will and you're doing your own thing, what you think is best. Naomi is a, a picture of a backslidden Christian. After her husband and two sons die, she then gives her daughter-in-law some very poor advice. She says, I'm going back to Bethlehem, Judah. But then she says, please, them, you guys, please stay here in your homeland with all the false gods and everything. Listen, never take advice from a backslider. <laughs> it's not going to turn out good. Their advice is always flawed. Now, thankfully, where man fails, God prevails. He has a plan for Naomi, and he has a plan for Ruth, as we have seen so far. Now, Orpah Winfrey, uh, the other daughter-in-law, did what Naomi suggested and, and went back. That's not really her name, but it's Orpah. <laughs> In case you guys are going, really? It says Winfrey in there? She went back to her homeland with her false gods, but Ruth, on the other hand, said, no way, I am not going to go. And then Ruth said those wonderful words that, that I like to include in, in wedding ceremonies, and you see it from time to time where the, you know, the, the groom is there and the, the bride's there, and, and you read Ruth 1.16, I will not leave you 
are turned back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Now, that's great. That's awesome. But for Naomi and Ruth, because both their husbands have died, these women now had no way of reclaiming their land. You see, when the children of Israel went in to possess Canaan, the, the, the land was divided up among the 12 tribes, but then it was also uh, with allotments to the family. So your family, you get this section over here, and you get this section over here. No man was allowed to sell uh, his land outside of his tribe. In case of financial difficulty, a man might be forced to mortgage his land. In cases like that, he lost the rights to it until it had been redeemed by paying off the mortgage until the year of Jubilee, when all the debts were canceled away. And I wish we still did years of Jubilee. Wouldn't that be awesome? Amen, yes. Apparently, this is what happened to the land that belonged to Elimelech. As women, as women, Naomi and Ruth had no way of getting it back to the land that belonged to their husbands. Again, thankfully, where man fails, God prevails. And even though these, these women were helpless, God had already made provision for them, which began in chapter 2, when we start to see this wonderful story of boy meets girl, verse 3 of chapter 2, Ruth goes into the field and after the reapers, and it just so happened in verse 3 that she'd come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was in the family of Elimelech. And we looked at how nothing just so happens, and God's always at work with his plan coming about, even though we don't see it. We got, that, got introduced in chapter 3 to the kinsman redeemer, or in Hebrew, the Gaal, the kinsman redeemer was a relative who, who protected the needy members of his family. Now, there were three things that the kinsman redeemer could redeem or buy back. could be, number one, a relative sold into slavery. Number two, they could preserve the lineage of the family by marrying the widow of a deceased relative and providing an heir to the family possessions, Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 and 6. Uh, children produced from such a union were considered to be the offspring of the deceased man. Number three, the land that had been sold outside of the family could be redeemed or bought back. Leviticus 25 has that all in there. And it was against this backdrop of tragedy and trials we're introduced to this man named Boaz. He is a kinsman to Naomi's dead husband. And in this short but powerful book, we, we get to watch as this kinsman redeemer works on behalf of these poor, two poor widows. He willingly exercises the rights and duties of the kinsman redeemer. He makes a difference in our lives and really presents to us this thrilling picture of our great kinsman redeemer, our Lord Jesus. Now, in order to be a kinsman redeemer, he had to have three qualifications. He had to, number one, be a near relative. Number two, be willing to redeem. And number three, be able to redeem. Boaz fulfilled all of these requirements. And as we'll see, so did our Lord Jesus, our heavenly redeemer. Now, being a part of the kinsman redeemer, the person being redeemed, there was a tradition as how to approach the redeemer. And last week we looked at in chapter 3, verse 4, Naomi tells Ruth when Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, lies down, you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. And then verse 6 of chapter 3, so she went down to the threshing floor and did according to that her mother-in-law instructed her. And how we looked at last time, there was nothing immoral about that. There was nothing seductive about that. It was the practice of that time. We looked at how, uh, you know, uh, Ruth probably laid there, because we remember he woke up around midnight, probably laid there uh, wondering what Boaz would do. Would he accept his role as kinsman redeemer? I mean, 
her heart was already for him. You know, now what was his heart towards her? Would he reject her? What was going to happen? You know, and no doubt we talked about last time that as Boaz slept, I'm sure Ruth was like listening to every breath he made. Is he going to wake up? Is he going to wake up? And maybe she dropped something on the floor, tickled his feet and just wake him up. Finally, Boaz wakes up, realizes there's a woman lying at his feet, jumps. He's surprised. Verse nine of chapter three. Uh, when he asked who she was, she says, I am Ruth, your maid, so spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Now, the phrase spread your covering over her literally means, she said, spread your wings over your maid. Same expression that Boaz used when he spoke to her back in chapter 2 concerning the Lord. He said in verse two, verse 12 of chapter 2, May the Lord reward your work as and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. And so she's under the Lord, and now she's saying to Boaz, uh, you know, uh, spread your wings over your mate, you know, submitting to, to his, his authority. Again, she's not being for it. She's saying, listen, I, you are my kinsman redeemer. And Boaz, I mean, he was blessed. He, he knew that, that Ruth had a reputation in town as being excellent and virtuous. I mean, what a great reputation to have putting her newfound relationship with the Lord into practice, seeking to live her life pleasing to the Lord in every aspect of her life, every step of the way. Okay, Lord, how would you have me to do this? What should you have me to do? Even in this early stage of her relationship with Boaz, she's continuing to please the Lord. And, and although she was a Moabite, Boaz had no reservations at all about marrying her, except one. Look at verse 12 of chapter 3. Boaz says, now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative, <clears throat> excuse me, closer than I. So he says, tell you what I'm going to do. Verse 13 of chapter 3. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he, now this is the nearer kinsman, will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. And I love that. As the Lord lives is an exclamation point after that. As the, yes, as the Lord lives. Then, now lie down until morning. So she stayed at his feet and rose up before the break of day. Now this brings us to chapter 4. Verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate. Now the gate, again, uh, you know, we have the problem of the near kinsman redeemer. So Boaz, bright and early, gets up and heads to the gate of the city. Now, the gate is where all the business transactions were done. It's kind of like the city hall that we have today. You've got to go in there. You've got to, you know, bring your paperwork, bring everything you have, and, and get something done. And the gates were actually gates. Uh, they were covered rooms where you'd, you'd sit and conduct business. It's also the place where the elders would sit of the city, watching who would come in and go out, giving, giving uh, counsel, solving problems, overseeing business transactions, all, the, all of that stuff that goes along with that. So Boaz goes in the, in the morning to the gate, it says in verse 1, and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. Verse 3. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. So Boaz says, Hey, there's some property. 
You know that Naomi's back. This property was Naomi's, but, but she lost it. Now her property's up, and you have the right to take it. You have the right to redeem it, to pay the bill for it. Uh, you wouldn't want to do that, would you? <laughs> I, I can just see him. Because you know what? I mean, it is his heart. I mean, he wants to be with, uh, you know, uh, be with, with uh, uh, Ruth. And so um, uh, he says, you wouldn't want to do that. He says, and then he says well, he says, well, in verse 4, I will redeem it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that sounds good to me. In my mind, I'm, I'm picturing Boaz's heart just kind of sinking after hearing that, going, oh, okay. But then he says in verse 5, then Boaz says, On the day you buy the field from the hand of, the, of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Boaz says, Okay, there's a little thing that comes along with the property. You have to take the ladies also, Ruth specifically. Now, because Naomi was past the age to have children, Ruth would be the one that would have to take, he would have to take as a wife and have a child through him so that, you know, her, you know, her children and the property would all stay in the family. So the Ruth's son would be considered the son of the dead husband. That's the way the Redeemer works. So here's Boaz saying, here's the deal. Property's yours, but you have to take the ladies that come along with it. Verse 6. And the close relative says, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I ruin my own inheritance. Oh, no, I, I, I've got kids of my own. This is just going to complicate everything. This is going to complicate my life, my inheritance. It's going to mess up everything. He says, forget it. I just can't do it. Verse 6, you redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And I'm sure Boaz on the inside is going, yes, 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 this is great. On the outside he's going, well, I suppose if someone's got to do it, you know, I, I, I can do it. But all through this story, we see beautiful typology. We've, we've, we've looked at some, but let's dig a little deeper. Picture, if you will, Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, is a type of Jesus. Ruth is, is the type of you and me, the church. So then who is this nearest kinsman a picture of? Well, it's the one who came first. The old covenant. We have these ten men present, the ten elders. We see the nearer kinsman has the legal right but unable to do the work. We see he's concerned about the property, but couldn't deal with the people. Interesting that I see that this near kinsman represents the law. The law given is, 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 is good. The law is good and just and all of that, but the problem is it can't deal with people like you and me. We're, we're sinners. The law tells us how we should live, and the law tells us how things ought to go, but the problem is we don't do it. We drop the ball. 1 Corinthians 15.56, the Apostle Paul declares, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. You see, the problem is sin is so strong between you and me because the more you know God's word, the more you study God's law, the more you realize that I'm sunk, that I've, I've failed, I can't do this. Maybe when you first got saved, maybe you thought, man, if I could just quit methamphetamine, then everything is going to be great. Okay, maybe you didn't think that, but <laughs> maybe not that bad. I don't know. I don't know your past, but... If I could just quit this habit, just this one thing, then, then I'm gonna, everything's going to be good, everything's going to be right, and, and I'm going to be able to walk with the Lord, and it's going to be great. What you find? That it goes much, much deeper than that. Our sins go much, much deeper. As we've been seeing on Sunday morning in the Sermon of the Mount, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. 
And it's the attitudes of the heart. And, and they go, oh, I, I got this out of my life and this out of my life. And then all of a sudden we read God's word and go, oh, that's still in my life. And that's in my life. And this stuff is real deep inside. And the more you read God's word, the more you realize, oh, no, it's not just some habit in my life. It's my life. And that's the whole point. To realize, okay, I, I'm a sinner. I'm a slime ball, a worm, a weasel. I need a redeemer. I need a savior. Again, the whole point. The law is good. But I, I'm not. The law just shows me how bad I truly am. And that's a picture of the nearer kinsman. He says, I'll take care of the property. It's the people I can't deal with. Now, this is where Boaz comes in, steps up to the plate. And where if this was the movie, this, I think, is just a, the big scene. Look at verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to conform, confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this is the confirmation in Israel. So this nearer kinsman, not wanting to redeem, is such custom for redeeming or exchanging, he would take off a shoe and give it to the other guy, basically saying, I'm a heel. I can't go through with this. I lack soul. I'm giving her the boot. It's time to put the shoe on the other foot. Whatever it might be. Actually, what is interesting is that in Deuteronomy 25, it talks about that once the, the, the shoe is given, that the woman who is not being redeemed had the right to spit in the guy's face. So here's the big scene. This guy takes off his shoes and says, I'm not redeeming you. And Ruth can say, thanks a lot, buddy. And spit in his face. But the reason he takes off his shoes is because the, the shoe speaks of possession. It speaks of possession. Remember what God told Joshua in Joshua 1.3. Wherever you put the sole of your foot... It's yours. Wherever you step, it's yours. Later on in chapter 3, he was told to put the soles of your feet in the water. And as you do that, the water would part, speaking of the Jordan River. So it speaks of, of possession. It speaks of taking control. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6.15 that we're to be having shot your, shod, your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, a New Living Translation, for shoes put on peace that comes from God of the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. It speaks of possession as well. We, we have the good news. We have the gospel. And we have the peace that comes from that. So when this guy here in verse 7 takes off his shoe, he's saying, I'm not going to take possession. I don't want to be in control of this situation. And Ruth can respond by spitting in his face according to Deuteronomy. Now, there's another picture that we see here. This is full of, of typology. It's that of Jesus. Jesus had his shoes taken off. They spit in his face. The people said, hey, we don't want this man to rule over us. We don't want him to be our, our redeemer. And they stripped his shoes and stripped his clothes off and spit in his face. He was a rejected Gael, you see. But again, back in verse 7, this guy takes off his shoe. Now, it doesn't say whether she chose to spit in his face or not. You can decide for yourself, but, but that's what happened. So then the kinsman says to Boaz, you buy it. Look now, verses 8 through 10. Therefore the close relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal, and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilean's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may be not cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. I've got her. She's mine, Boaz says. I've got the right to redeem her. I did something that the law couldn't do. The first guy couldn't take care of the problem. 
Deal with the property, yes, but unable to redeem the people. Legal stuff, okay, but not love stuff. The law couldn't do that. So it's my turn, Boaz, it says. Same way. Law shows us that we had a need for the Redeemer, and Jesus is that Redeemer. Not that he, he was a Redeemer. Jesus is our Redeemer. That is, He continues to redeem us. You see, if, if you're a truck driver, it doesn't mean that you used to drive trucks. It means you're still a truck driver. Jesus is, is a Redeemer. He, he continues to redeem, calling me to His side and acknowledging me as His bride over and over again, day after day. He's redeeming me and redeeming you. Not just when you got saved a year ago or ten years ago, but today, saving us from our own stupidity, from our own sin, from our own mistakes, our own weaknesses. He's saving you, saving me. He's our Redeemer. I love it. So Boaz, the kinsman Redeemer, stepped up, redeemed Ruth, even as a Redeemer stepped up to the cross for you and me, purchased us with his blood that he shed in Calvary. I purchased her, Boaz says, even as Jesus has purchased me and you with his own blood. You are witnesses this day, he says, now verses 11 through 13. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. What a, a wonderful change that came into Ruth's life because she trusted Boaz to let him work on her behalf. She went from loneliness to love, from toil to rest, from poverty to wealth, from worry to assurance, from, from despair to hope. She was no longer Ruth the Moabitess. The past was gone. And now she's making this, this new beginning. She's now Ruth, the wife of Boaz. Same way, we become born again, we get a new name, a new nature, old things pass away, all things become new. We're now called Christians, we're Christ-like. We go from loneliness to love, from toil to rest, from poverty to wealth, from worry to assurance, from despair to hope. I mean, what a great picture. Look again at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife, and when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative, that is, without a kinsman, without a redeemer, and may his name be famous in Israel. May the name of the redeemer be famous in Israel. In verse 15, And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. We used to tell my girls when they were growing up, you guys work harder than seven boys. We took this from there. So we see a redeemer for Ruth, but also a redeemer given to Naomi through her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Verse 16, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. So Naomi becomes a mother to this child indirectly. The one who had become barren and could no longer have children, God honors her and shows us that God wasn't through with Naomi either. Baby given to her through Ruth and then she begins to nurse his child. Verse 17, also the neighbor woman gave him a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed, which means servant. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. Ten generations 
from Perez to David. Now, this is interesting. Think about this. Who was Perez? Perez was an a, a, a illegitimate, illegitimate son born to Judah. Remember that story? Tamar dressed up like a prostitute because Judah didn't fulfill his responsibilities over his family. Judah then had relationships with his daughter-in-law, not realizing who she was. But then when he finds out she's pregnant, Judah says, kill her. Until Tamar says, the guy who, who impregnated me, you know, owns this, this, this ring and this staff. And Judah knew that it was his ring and his staff and said, uh-oh, okay, th- th- that's me. <laughs> that's right, Tamar said to Judah, you're the dad. It's an amazing story. But the reason I bring this up is to say because there was this illegitimacy, according to Deuteronomy 23, verses 2 and 3, there had to be 10 generations before the illegitimate child could come into the tabernacle or the sanctuary or the temple. 10 generations had to pass. So when you count these generations here from Perez to David, surprise, 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 10 generations perfectly. So then the 10th generation that descendant can now go in and we see that the 10th generation is David. Also means that in Genesis 49 where it declares that the scepter shall not depart from Judah even though Judah blew it royally from Judah is going to come the king. The scepter means the king. And now 10 generations later that the king, King David and ultimately the son of David, Jesus Christ. Which means this. The first guy who was the first king of Israel a man named Saul, who was head and shoulders above the rest of everybody else, a real charismatic type of guy, he was not God's first choice. Because he was from the tribe of Benjamin, and because, you know, there had to be ten generations that passed. You see, it was God's plan to give his people a king, the Old Testament law and then all the rest. God has always planned on giving them a king, but they wanted one now. They didn't want to wait for the tenth generation where the legitimate king would come from. So God says, okay, you want a king? Have it your way. Here's a burger king. Have it your way. Here's the king you want. God gave them Saul. And Saul was a disaster. And it seemed like to them at the time, hey, Saul, he's our guy. But they would find out that he was a big disappointment and a real problem. Simple lesson, wait. Wait for God's timing. Wait for God's direction. Had they just waited a little bit longer until the next generation, they would have had David. Now, God's plan still came into play because David would be the king that God promised because from David, the scepter would not depart from Judah. David would, would, uh, from David comes Jesus, the king of kings. Luke 1, verse 32, he will be great. He'll be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So important that we, we trust in the Lord, we wait on the Lord because God loves me and cares about me. He's going to do what's right for me. And so ends the book of Ruth. A happy story. A love story, but also a prophetic story. I mean, there's so many pictures here in the story, but before we finish, I don't want to miss out on one more that is, that is the prophetic picture that's painted for us. And so let's kind of go a little quick overview, prophetic overview. First, we have the family. Look at it this way. Naomi and her family represents the nation of Israel. They're dwelling in the land of Canaan, in Bethlehem, the land of bread. But God's judgment, you know, struck with famine because the people were in sin. Everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. They were driven out of the land into the land of the Gentiles. That's what happened to Israel after they rejected Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 37 and 38, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. 
So in 70 AD, God's judgment came down upon the nation. The Jews were scattered throughout the world into the land of the Gentiles. Well, then comes the picture of Naomi. While in the land of the Gentiles, three-fourths of her family died. Naomi was the only remnant left. She became the type of the Jews that we know today. While scattered throughout the nations, many Jews have died. Six million under Hitler's Holocaust. You know, over the last, you know, almost 2,000 years, the Israelites have suffered many, many afflictions, many losses. You know, in 1948, we know they returned to their homeland, just as Naomi did after 10 years returning to Bethlehem, and now awaiting a redeemer. And although Naomi was in the land, she did not have possession of the land. She was bitter, feeling abandoned and afflicted by God. The majority of the Jews today are the same way. They're in the land, uh, you know, and the land of Israel have forsaken God in bitterness. And, and, and how could a true God have allowed us to endure what we have for so many years, they ask. But then we have Ruth. Ruth is a great picture of the church, of the church. During Naomi's absence from the land of Israel, this Gentile woman was being prepared for her husband. In her marriage to the kinsman redeemer, that, that will both gain her a husband and restore the land to Naomi. That's awesome. And it gets better. Then we have Boaz. Of course, Boaz is the kinsman redeemer, picture of Jesus Christ. He's the one who marries the church, his Gentile bride, and restores the land to Israel. We know that Ruth was separated from God by the law, which stated, No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord. And as a Moabite, she was separated from God. But God's grace, she was brought into the people of God. We as Gentiles, were separated from God, and by God's grace, we've been grafted into the family of God. A couple more things to point out. Naomi returned to the land. After spending a, a time of affliction and death in the land of the Gentiles, Naomi returned to Israel. Same is true for Israel today. God had prophesied in Ezekiel, Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-four, For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. May 14, 1948. That came, that came to pass. They regained also biblical Jerusalem in 1967. They still haven't as yet occupied their entire inheritance. One more thing. Naomi and Ruth came back at the harvest. Remember they were harvesting? They entered the land. So to Israel has come back into the land at the end of the age. It's time for the harvest. Jesus said in Mark 13, 28-30, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branches already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away till all these things take place. The harvest is near. But there's more. We're not done yet. Then there was the instructions in chapter 3. Ruth followed Naomi's instructions to the T to unite with Boaz. Listen, the Jews have kept the word of God, our instructions pure for thousands of of years. And by following the word of God that we come to know how our kinsman redeemer accepts us. We have God's word on it. Then there's a tribulation. Ruth spent the night on the threshing floor at Boaz's feet. Note the threshing floor in scripture often speaks of the time of judgment upon the earth. We as the church will be with our kinsman redeemer during the dark of night safe and secure hidden under his wings. I love Isaiah 26, verse 20. It says, Come, my people, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. Church are going to be safely tucked away in heaven during the Great Tribulation. The other kinsman redeemer, we looked at that already. 
the relative of Boaz and the rightful redeemer of Ruth. He should have been able to redeem Ruth, but he could not. Again, that's a picture of the law with every legal right to make us holy and acceptable to redeem us, but cannot. And that's why we have Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law. Instead, Jesus, a relative of the law, stepped forward to redeem us. And then finally, the redemption. After the fleshing, threshing floor, after the wedding, Naomi's land was redeemed back to her. So to the nation of Israel will receive the full inheritance of the land during the millennial reign of Christ. What a great story. What, what a great, it's a love story. And it shows us just how much God loves us and cares for us. And God has got a plan for our lives, a, a purpose. And, and, and as long as we keep ourselves in that place to receive it, then we're going to be able to see what God has for us. It's only when we step out and we go into the land that we shouldn't be going to that we get ourselves into a mess. But if we just stay where he has for us, seeking him, we know Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to those that are called uh, according to his purpose. Great story. Next week, we have uh, soup night. And then the following week is harvest night. And then the following week, we're going to start another book of the Old Testament. But I'm still praying about which one that is yet. So I will keep you informed over the next couple of weeks so you can read ahead. Uh, but what a, what a great story tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, grace, Thank you for the plan of redemption laid out for us so clearly in your word, even in the Old Testament, God. That we see you all throughout, Lord, uh, but we see it so strong in this story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and, and our kinsman redeemer. And we thank you for that, God. Lord, help us to live our lives pleasing to you, Lord. Help us to look to you, Lord, for everything and, and trust you to be relying upon your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word and the power that, it, that your spirit gives to it to change our lives, Lord, as we obey and, and read and learn and apply these truths in our lives. Lord, help us to live our lives pleasing to you, Lord, every step of the way, seeking your counsel, your direction, your path for our lives, Lord, that we might please you and honor you for all that you've done. Thank you for being our kinsman redeemer, redeeming us from death and sin and giving us life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.